You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay then, folks, welcome to episode three of the Wisdom Weekly Podcast. We're true to our word. This is the third in three weeks. Uh, this is um, this time around, I'm going I'm to be joined by Yaz Rana, uh, one of the Wisdom stable, of course, uh, and Adam Collins, uh, the globe-trotting, untouchable, indomitable Adam Collins. Everybody knows who he is. Um, it's been another suitably uh, unhinged and chaotic week in cricket, um, and there's only really one place to start, Adam Collins, your moment of the week, please. Mm, yeah, it's good to be back on the show, the weekly version of it. I think this is the fourth different Wisdom podcast I've been on in the yeah, last few years. Yeah, we, so, we keep it loose. Uh, but no, uh, lovely to be in such a nice setting looking at across the people's ground, the Oval. Uh, I don't even mention that anymore, everyone knows. Everybody knows Oval. we work at the Oval, yeah, fair, fair, fair. Uh, look, the the uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the cultural review, I'm sure, in great depth and, and, the, and the ramifications thereof, but um, the moment... For a single moment on the field, David Warner's walk off, then not walk off for mine, uh, was what set or framed up the week, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It, it meant that we knew that, not because of that necessarily, but we knew the culture review was coming uh, and the fact that Warner was back in the headlines. And just kicked off the week perfectly, didn't it? Yeah. Symbolically, it was just, just ideal for what was to follow. Yeah, and, I, and I'm mindful of always trying to look at the whole board when it comes to David Warner, the logical... Um, reflexive responses that, hey, that's the bloke that sledges everybody, so what right does he have to complain about being sledged? But of course, um, the, the, the deeper issue here was that he was being uh, given some harsh treatment by uh, Jason Hughes, brother of the, the late Philip Hughes, um, and I don't know how I would respond in that situation if I were being um, told by that particular person that I had no place in the game with all the backstory, all the history, all the tragedy. So... Um, yeah, I, again, I'm probably sitting on the fence a bit here by saying I don't want to offer a strong view on it, but I certainly paid a lot of attention when I woke up on Sunday morning. Mm. And then the week just got all the more spectacular from there on in. Yaz Rana, your moment of the week, please. It, uh, for me, it'll be Joe Denley's fourth. Um, it was his first international appearance for England in 
eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing story in itself that he's got back into the England team, but quite frankly, more astonishing that it came opening the bowling in a T20 international in Sri Lanka. Um, the first two wickets in particular were brilliant to watch because the ball just didn't spin. Mm-hmm. Um, his non his spinning leg spin was too much for the Sri Lankan batsman. Um, and we'll see next week if he makes his test match debut. Indeed. Do you think that now they've figured out that the leggy doesn't actually really turn, that they might just play him like a good, solid club bowler, which is probably what he is I, I, I worry how he'll do as a test match bowler in Sri Lanka against batsmen who are used to facing spin, slow well, bowling. Oh, I didn't watch the game in question, but what's the overspin like? I asked that because having watched Manus Labuschagne bowl in the UAE, it doesn't get a lot of lateral movement, but it's that top spin he seems to generate, which can cause problems even at the top level. I think it's different to Labuschagne. I think... Um, it being a T20 national, the batsmen were trying to attack, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the power play, um, and they were they were trying to drive balls that were pitching on off and just going straight on, um, and that was, was basically they obviously never played Denley before, yep. and the ball just wasn't spinning. Okay, well, a few days out before that first Test match, we'll come back to the uh, the runners and riders for that first Test from an English point of view at least uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, my moment of the week, I ask myself, um, well, it should be the announcement of the restructured county season, which uh, dropped into the inboxes, I think, on uh, Tuesday this week. Um, yet another review of the structure of the county year. It should really be that, and especially the rejigged county championship, the four-day tournament again, which seems ever more convoluted and contrived. Now it's going to be 14 games with a top division of 10 teams, which means that not everyone's going to be playing each other twice. But we'll come to that because my real moment of the week, Adam Collins, is, is you will no doubt be prompting me because you <laughs> sent in your, your stuff as well. I have an audition, folks. I have an audition to appear in the upcoming feature film of the 1983 World Cup. You all remember that one. It was the World Cup, the month that changed cricket forever. India's coming of age as a one-day side. And I have an audition to be a proper, fully-fledged figure in this film. Not just that, my yeah, friend. not just not a just figure just in that. it. Quite not a prominent figure in the 83 a prominent, World Cup. You say a prominent figure. Trevor Chappell, yep. the most glamorous, charismatic of the three chapels. <laughs> <laughs> who made I and I learned this only recently he made 100 against India it's in the India, 83 right. World Cup it's got right. buried in the annals well it's about to be resurrected and I just might be that man everyone remembers the Zimbabwe loss which was the opening weekend yeah, the of, Dunk of the tournament game, yeah. Duncan Fletcher game and I've also put in an application to be in this film and I really want to be Duncan Fletcher now I don't know whether it's within my grasp to achieve an audition in such a short space of time before leaving the country but if you're listening out there I'm ready to serve uh, if elected and given the opportunity, I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll, I'll deploy every <laughs> weapon I have. Um, I'm not sure how many there are, but uh, I'll give it a crack. I, I didn't mention my my uh, application, my kind of era defining Oedipus at sixth form. I didn't mention that. I didn't feel, feel like I needed to. They will see the full the full breadth of my my method next week, next <laughs> Friday at Lords. Uh, come and see it happen, folks. Uh, and I'll be giving you updates as we go. It's in the bag. Uh, very quickly, um, the 1983 World Cup is slightly before my time. So when you told me this news, um, you might be playing Trevor Chappell. I go- might be. We'll definitely be will playing, be. We'll Thank you. Will be. Uh, I googled Trevor Chappell, and he looks so much like Hollywood actor Will Ferrell. 
Like, well, there you go. I'm, I'm, Does that I'm mean the, that you feel Walker? I'm the missing like link. Will Ferrell as well. I'm the Venn diagram <laughs> bit between Will Ferrell and Trevor Chappell. Here you go, folks. Can I ask one question about the county restructure? I only happened upon this quickly yesterday. Yep. Uh, am I right in saying that only a couple of years ago it went to 8-10 split with Division 2 having the inelegant draw? Why would they choose to – what was the rationale behind um, ruining what was uh, – everyone playing everyone twice in the top flight, which for mine, I'm obsessed with scheduling, and I love the idea of home and away all the way. Why would they – set it up in such a way that in the top division you can have a result where everyone doesn't play everyone twice? Um, not being t- too cynical, but I think it's to protect the big teams from being relegated. Having it's ten a self-preservation teams, society. Yeah. Ah, I think I having 10 teams in Division 1 um, is will, will just mean the big teams are less likely to get relegated. Oh, there you go. Uh, uh, answer, uh, answer there, right there. No, I'm, I, it, we always follow the money, right? So. All right, we're going to touch on that then, just briefly. Um, the, the obvious frustration is it does nothing to appease those who say, well, we are losing the prime months of a county summer uh, to one-day cricket when we should be playing uh, its primary uh, garlanded uh, format, which of course is four-day cricket, and instead uh-huh. it's tacked on at the start and at the end, and it's not really given those prime months. And also those kind of six-week holiday for the kids' months as well. And so the whole, this thing happens in the margins. Um, I can understand those arguments, but I also understand the, the flip side. Let's be fair. You know, stuff brings in cash and people and bums on seats in, in the height of summer. That's where clubs make the money to survive. So I can understand both points of view on that one. What I, what I do struggle with is this sudden lurch to... to a, iniquitous um, system, you know, that now you're going to have the top division, you're going to have the the marquee division with some teams playing each other twice and some teams playing each other once. And it, the, apparently it's going to be weighted. It's going to be weighted on, on, on form and so on and so on. But that seems to me utterly back to front. They've been doing it in Div 2, barely getting away with it. But in truth, not even God watches Division 2 County Championship. <laughs> but in Division 1, it's been great cricket. It's been top quality cricket more often than not. Eight teams, hammer and tongs, twice, you know, 14 games, seven, seven, seven games home, seven games away. And now they're skewing that. And that's frustrating to me. It seems to be that we're taking it even further away from where it needs to be. I think that's the most important point. Um, Division 1 in County Cricket has been so good to watch in the last two years. Um, ha- having just eight teams where two of those teams, 25% of the teams in the division being relegated at the end of the season means that decent teams can go down. Lancashire going down this season, for example, made really interesting watching at the end of the season. Um, and having 10 teams, you just have more meaningless games. Um, but but you, you, you have nailed it. You have nailed it yourself. You know, as you said, right at the top, Lancashire are going down. Um, you're going to have a top-end club in Division 2 next year with some top-end players. And they're not going to be given the... Uh, the kind of exposure that they need and so I can understand up to a point the real politic of it uh, but to me having having your absolute number one proud competition 160 odd years old and you're getting some teams playing eight eight days cricket against mm. one team and some teams just playing four days cricket against another that seems to me skewed especially when it's with scheduling, I think about my domestic football competition, it's almost impossible to create that, that perfect draw. You've had it forever in county cricket, and the fact that you would walk away from it after something that seemed to be working so well, it frustrated me enough when Division 2 went to this model a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I quite like the backstory of a team going to Division 2 before winning the county championship some years later. Middlesex were down in, was it 2012 they were down? They won the comp in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Surrey 
famously went down yep. uh, and won Division 2 with Kumar Sangakara in 2015. They won the whole thing Essex were this year. in Div 2, I think, Essex, for eight of ten years sure. before coming up and winning it. Yeah, absolutely. I, even as recently as what they were down there in 2016, weren't they? Yeah, around that much. So I, I quite like the idea that you can have those like nice narrative arcs, if you like, of building a team in Division 2 after being relegated and mm-hmm. coming back up. And yeah, and, It's one of the joys of county cricket. We don't have that in the Sheffield Shield. It's six yeah. teams, and it can be a bit monotonous, and it has been marginalised, and we'll talk about that to an extent, I'm, I'm sure, when we touch on the cultural we, review. We, we might touch on the cultural review. Yeah, yeah we'll but, come to that just in one moment. You've got a great thing. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Sheffield Shield cricket's wonderful too in its own in its own way. Both comps have their comparative advantages, but one of those in county cricket is that it is such a robust draw, and moving away from that does diminish it to an extent. The, the spectre, of course, is uh, the 100, as we colloquially call it, and new competition, capital N, capital C, as the ECB are calling it now, yes. in a kind of sort of double thinky kind of 1984 kind of way new competition over oversees everything here and it casts a long shadow uh, this will be dominating those key months of the summer and it now means that the 50 over tournament how it will be buried ever more in the bowels of this of this season the 50 over tournament will be playing in the background uh, behind this as I say, new competition. Uh, no overseas players will be allowed to play in it. So it's essentially like a feeding system, really. It's 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 like the county vase rather than the, the, the county yeah. the county cup, you know. Uh, and so 50-over cricket is becoming increasingly squeezed, certainly amongst players' attitudes around the world. And this is just another example of it. An, ob- an obvious concern would be um, surely the best one-day players in the country, domestic one-day players in the country, will be playing in that new competition. Um, so let's say you've got a young guy, sorry, like a Will Jacks, he gets he gets tapped up by a uh, a franchise straight away. He's not playing 50 over cricket at all. So where's his preparation for the international setup? I'll tell you what, you've gone down this path before. I remember before mm. the 2015 oh, World Cup, the 40 over yeah, competition, exactly. it was being played in favour of 50. Then, After that World Cup in 2015, it was uh, all about trying to prepare for the 2019 World Cup and they reformed it to make sure that competition <laughs> was, was top notch and now we've gone full circle, all in the space of four I, years. I remember the ECB saying very, very smugly, tipping their nose Pro 40, 40 over competition, you wait, that's going to become pretty central in the international <laughs> cricket over the next couple of years. Well, we're still waiting, folks. All right, okay, let's move on to yep. the big story, Adam Collins. Yeah. Take it away. It's been a tumultuous week. Just let me head this up and then you can you can have the floor. It's been a tumultuous <sighs> week Okay. down, down in your, your neck of the woods. Um, just another few days in Australia's year of behaving eccentrically. A coruscating review, independent review from the Ethics Centre, yep. the Sydney-based Ethics Centre. So an independent review, but um, if not commissioned by Cricket Australia, then certainly they are in cahoots with, right? They are contributing to. And it reveals what? A toxic win-at-all-costs culture that has resulted in the resignation of Cricket Australia's chairman, David Peaver. Yeah. Maybe more to fall, who can say? It's been... Uh, Quite a story so far. Take it away. Yeah, there's so many different threads to stitch together here. So let's make this fairly free-forming. I think otherwise this could this could uh, this could take a while. Look, first and foremost, it's worth noting here that there's 147 pages. There are 42. Reviews. How many have you read? Uh, I've, I went through the review when it came out. You had to. It was compelling reading. And this is this wasn't to be expected. It so, was rather elegantly written, the bits that I saw. Actually. Well, it's, and some of it was not very well written, actually, as well, for what it's worth. But the, the, what I would say is that when Gideon Hay and Jeff Lemon were crafting their books this year about what happened in South Africa, and Gideon was badging his, or it was, it was, um, it was marketed as the alternative review, and I, it was a, it's a fantastic book. I yeah. strongly recommend it. We all thought, 
oh, well, there it is. There's the culture review. Mm-hmm. You know, Ethics Centre, um, there were some questions about the governance uh, arrangements there. That is to say that they've been interlinked with CA in the past. They didn't receive particularly flash reviews of a, of a, of a report they wrote about another Australian sporting body last year or the year before, I think it was. So people went into this expecting it to be a bit of a whitewash. And the fact that um, 90 I think it was 92% of members of the board responded to uh, the questionnaire and only 24% of players. That might be what you'd expect you'd get back. You'd get something mm-hmm. which is quite favourable towards the board. But like you say, it was an incineration of um, a, a, a culture. And again, we're going to continue using this word, but just let, just let, me, read, just let me read a couple of the actual yeah, please quotes do. Please from, do. Uh, from this, this review uh, from Simon Longstaff mm-hmm. at this Ethics Centre. The leadership of Cricket Australia, listen to this, should also accept responsibility for its inadvertent but foreseeable failure to create and support a culture in which the will to win was balanced by an equal commitment to moral courage and ethical restraint. That's quite high, highfalutin stuff, isn't too it? right. And I mean, the fact the, the words that jumped off the page were arrogance and dictatorial, right? Yeah. But, but when you get when you dig a bit deeper, what they're really saying there is, and because it's such a long report, well, it, it, there's so much in the report, you can almost quote from every page and there's something like that. But the main finding was that, well, the main linkage is that the... Argus Review in 2011, which was a root and branch review of Cricket Australia and the Australian cricket team, recommended that the, the key word there was accountability. And a lot of emphasis went to that after Australia lost a home Ashes series in 10-11. Australia doesn't handle losing at home well. We handle it very, very poorly. Losing to England at home for the first time in a generation, mm-hmm. worse still. So the emphasis went on to how can we get this cricket team performing as well as we can. So the accountability was there. But concurrent to that, at the same time in 2011, and I'm sorry it's a bit a bit boring governance you speak, but it's worth discussing, was the, the Crawford-Carter report on how the board was going to be assembled. And that was the time when the traditional federated structure of Cricket Australia, so where delegates from the states who were traditionally cricket people who might have came through the club yep. system or the Sheffield yep. Shield system, became directors of Cricket Australia, um, that they were... They, they were essentially replaced. There were still some representatives of the states, but essentially replaced by um, independent directors that came from mostly the corporate community. And these two things happened at the same time. And the culture review does not miss on that. So where there was accountability down the chain, as they've said, on the cricket team, and we've seen what happened in South Africa mm-hmm. after the ball tampering fiasco, it didn't go up the chain. And, and the conclusion they drew was that it did create a culture of arrogance, a, a culture of um, being able to essentially do what they want and know they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the subtext, that they could go and do whatever they wanted at, at governance level and knew the repercussions went, wouldn't be there. Uh, and that's and that's where they argue that there is a direct link between what happened okay. in South Africa and what was happening in the boardroom. Yeah, well, this is it. And this is where this link becomes intriguing to yes. me. So another quote, we've seen evidence that the structures built around elite cricket oriented towards winning almost in brackets, without properly counting the cost. Um, this, to me, again, is, is it has a whiff of kind of Puritanism to it. I, I, find, it, I find this an interesting point to uh, direct a dart at Australian cricket culture for being uh, obsessed with winning. What, what cricket culture isn't in, in, in the uber-professional era obsessed with winning? And what, what cricket culture doesn't go the extra yard to, to achieve those ends? And what cricket culture doesn't bend its, its moral and ethical standpoints in order to achieve that? So, so, so to me, this is an interesting stance that Australian cricket has taken, and it's consistent with what's played out over the years here and there. You know, there, there have been these kind of moral hand-wringing moments throughout the recent history of Australian cricket, for sure. Yeah, I thought that was a weaker part of the report. I think that every 
high performance unit is set up with a view to winning. So, but this leads. But I want to but I want to balance that out before I get taken out of context. I okay. balance that out by saying that where uh, it does make a really strong reference there is to Cameron Bancroft specifically, right. and saying that inside that culture which had evolved or developed, he didn't have the tools at his disposal to say no. That's where the problem lies. Sure. It's not about winning and winning and winning. It's about when something's going wrong, such as cheating, yeah. but where they couldn't distinguish between the importance of winning the match of cricket or the game of cricket and doing it in a way that was in keeping with the rules and the spirit of the game. That's where okay. they fell out of sync. Okay, then. By this token, should, as many respected observers have been saying, should their bans therefore be, if not completely rescinded, then certainly reduced? Where do you stand on that? I find that a really good debating point. I think the ACA have built the case strongly. I think that and there's no love lost between CA and the ACA. Uh, that, that's, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. It's putting it mildly. But again, okay, let's deal with this issue first. The bans themselves, you could build a strong convincing case that um, time served based on what we know from the report and they should be allowed to play this test match. But in practice, there's a host of logistical reasons why that wouldn't happen, not least the fact that they haven't played any sure. first-class but, cricket. But, 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 but I mean, we're in the moral sphere here, right? Yeah, okay, well, forget about the moral sphere. I'll, I'll, you know, there, there is a suggestion that this is grounds... Darren Lehman said there's a groundswell of support in the community to let them play this summer. I don't see that. I don't feel that. I don't haven't experienced that groundswell of support. I think that would be the worst possible move for Steve Smith, David Warner, and to a lesser extent, Cameron Bancroft. But the mm-hmm. big two, mm-hmm. if they um, did try and uh, litigate an emergency general meeting of the board to, or whatever it would take to get the, the, the bans overturned, it, it would be uh, yeah short-term gain. They might be able to play a couple of tests at the back end of the summer. Uh, I think the longer-term benefit for them is, is being seen to have done exactly what they did after South Africa, especially Smith, which was cop it on the chin, yeah. uh, don't go through the official CA process. Remember, yeah. they declined the opportunity to go through the process. And lastly, they weren't actually pinged for ball tampering. So yeah. there is a little bit of a false equivalency here. People say the ban for ball tampering is six test matches now. Now it's been increased by the ICC. Um, you deduct the eight test matches Australia and the, the, the three Australians would have missed and you, you, you subtract yeah. six and you've got two and yeah. they could play against Sri Lanka and that would be in keeping with the ban they would have had from the ICC. They're actually um, banned by CA for bringing the game into, disre- into disrepute. Yeah. Separate thing altogether. Yeah, Nothing no, to do with ball tampering. So, uh, so I think that, yes, it, it's, a, it's a strong uh, debating point. It's a good stick to whack CA over the head with from the Players Association. In practice, I don't think anyone really expects that to occur. And my personal view is I don't see any real reason why it should. No, that, sure. That, you know, getting on with their lives in the way they have so far. I'm um, seeing out the bands, I think, has a broader long-term yeah. benefit when, for them. When you're walking this very delicate tightrope uh, in terms of public opinion in Australia as well, if you... If you prosecute that idea that these these three are somehow kind of innocent victims of a rotten regime and kind of compelled to act unreasonably, then you lose a lot of that sympathy that I think would have probably been built up by most reasonably minded people. Yeah, I don't think there's sympathy towards them. Well, at at the right, right, at, right. at the edges, you got to remember, like, and this is a really challenging topic to talk about um, in a short space of time. That there should be and will be more books written about the relationship between what happened in South Africa and the last 20 years of Australian public life. I, I'm con- I, 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 and this is something... Hold on to your hats, folks. This is a much longer discussion, I think, about the way um, the discourse, the, the vile discourse in Australia over the last 20 years, the, yeah. the way Australia has evolved or gone backwards, in my personal opinion, as a nation in many, many respects over the last uh, decade or two, uh, and how it interrelates to the way in which um, this 
saga and fiasco was responded to at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes. At the, at Meanwhile, the, he's got about five. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, know I, right, I, yeah. I just want to ask you about the players' pact. Oh, yeah, okay, let's okay. do that. Okay. The, the, the well, Tim Payne players' pact. Yeah. I, I, Talk me through it. I felt, a bit, I felt a bit for Tim having to almost read it out. Like, you can see how it happened. They're trying their bloody hardest, right? Like, yeah. they know what their responsibility here is to do. It's to... Tim, you can't fault him. Tim Payne, from the moment that he took over as Australian captain, has found a way to... Um, show contrition and, and show and, and, and speak with you know, real candor and, and real openness about what happened. And the interview that I did with him for the magazine, Phil, where he, where he talked about yeah, how, uncomfortable, really well. how uncomfortable that he felt about the way that Australian cricket was going when he returned to the side, especially the way in which they dealt with opposing teams. So I get that, that this was like a natural next step. They needed to do something like this to, uh, to, to illustrate that they were part of the solution, not, not part of the problem. But mm-hmm. the response from... Other players and those who have recently out of the Australian team and former, you know, quote and quote legends of Australian cricket, suggest that it's not going to be taken too seriously. I think that uh, for as many people out there who see that there's a problem with Aussie cricket and uh, and and the way in which Australians have have behaved on the field over generations, there's just as many who say that that's exactly what Australia needs to do to win, and they would like a scenario where things return to normal as quickly as possible. So um, I think it's a a difficult line for, for Payne to walk and I feel a bit sorry for him that he's been given the, the rounds of the kitchen about this players mm-hmm. pact. I, I, you know, it, how, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you stick the landing on that? Mm-hmm. It's corporate speak. It's corporate jargon. It's a lot of the stuff in there does lend itself to parody almost, but at the same time, he had to, they had to do something like this. It, it was difficult. I, can, <laughs> I, 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 I don't right. envy them. Okay. Just very, very briefly on the cricket itself. Yep. And I'm only asking you this because you're heading off to the West Indies for the, the world T20 yep. women's, Tournament kicking off next week. Uh, India come to town to Australia. Obviously, there's a five te- five uh, ODI st- uh, game against South Africa, but after that, it's India Tests. Uh-huh. Uh, shorn of their big players, um, and in you know looking at where where we're at, uh, do you do you see them getting turned over at home against India for the first time in ever? They you should. still see them turn it. Oh, well, I mean, they should, shouldn't they? I mean, look, obviously, when you include the big three fast bowlers who weren't available. Uh, well, Stark played, but as a trio in, yeah. uh, in the UAE, and you throw Nathan Lyon at home, who has a f- fantastic record in, in recent years, well, certainly last summer, um, they're going to take their 20 wickets. Um, how are they going to make enough runs? Is, is the query a top six, which is inexperienced, to say the least, a top six, which has holes everywhere? Um, the, the Marshes, are they going to be featuring? Uh, I think they will, uh, for different reasons. I think Mitch, because he's vice-captain and he's a long-term investment, uh, and I think they're willing to take the rough with the smooth with yep. Mitch. Sean because he made runs last week and they consider him a touch player. And when he's in form, they want to play him. Sure, he didn't make a run uh, in the UAE and he'll need to make runs all the way through, I feel, until selection. But very, very strong relationships between the coach and and Sean Marsh and and the West Australian fraternity, generally speaking. I I doubt they would um, risk... Not risk is the wrong word. I doubt they would um, be willing to leave Sean Marsh out, one of the few players with a lot of test experience on a summer where they're already lacking so much for that. Yeah. Okay. And just finally, finally, uh, Will Bukowski, yeah. young, immensely talented Australian batsman who you've interviewed a number of times. Unfortunately, he's taken an indefinite uh, break from the game due to uh, mental health issues. A word on him? Yeah, hard to read when Victoria Cricket Victoria put that statement out over the weekend. I think it was late last week. Will's one of the most impressive young people I've met in the game. Uh, he's got an incredibly tough and considered head on his shoulders. I say tough because he's suffered seven serious 
concussions that date all the way back to when he was in year 10 of school and he was tackled into somebody's knee. He missed six months of school at that point. He's been hit by cricket balls running out of nets. He's run into a door. He's been hit fielding for Victoria. He's been floored batting last year against New South Wales in a Sheffield Shield game. Everything that could have gone wrong for him injury-wise above the shoulders has, but he's always maintained his really balanced level disposition. And I don't have anything to add beyond what CV said because I don't want to speculate, but you can understand why um, a a lot of that would have caught up with him. And it's just terrible timing because he probably was, I wouldn't say next cab, that's wrong because he he hasn't played enough shield cricket to demand it, but 243 in a first-class game against WA at the Wacker would have put him in the conversation for the first test, certainly. You were touting him to play on the Boxing Day Test match. Yeah, I was. I mean, mean, partially that was um, me being a little bit cheeky, but a a Victorian on Boxing Day... Um, they've done it before. Uh, but I, I felt as though that would be enough time for him to prove himself half a shield season. If you give this guy five games, Victoria, he might have made enough runs to get into the side by then. I, I just hope that... I'm just glad that he's identified in his own he's in his own way that he wasn't able to sustain the rigours of professional cricket right now. I think it's a really mature, a really mature and a really commendable piece of behaviour because right now is the chance he has. You know, Maybe one more hundred next week would have got him in the test side. Instead, he's saying, no, this isn't the right time for me to be playing professional sport. I'm going to take a step back and, and, I'll, and I'll re-enter when yeah. I feel right to do take so. Great and, 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 and good luck to him because, as I say before, he's he's a highly impressive human being, not just for what he does on the field, um, some of the volunteer work he does off the field, the way he conducts himself. I, I just think he's got a really long future in the game and he, he's just what Australian cricket needs right now. Yeah, it's a jarring story. We wish him well. We hope he's back soon. Okay then, folks, after that lightweight stuff, uh, we're moving on to England's test match side. Uh, when does the game start, Yes, yeah? Tuesday, Wednesday? Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning next week, first test from Gaul. Uh, three test series, of course, against Sri Lanka. Uh, England have had two full days of cricket. I was going to call it first-class cricket, but it's hard to really describe it as that in, in truth. And, of course, another day of rain and another day of rain uh, forecast for what would have been the last of their practice games. Uh, what can we learn from from two days cricket? Yaz Rana, uh, talk me through the the runners and riders, the hits and misses so far. Um, starting with good news, Joe Root got hundred. He's in good form. Uh, that's quite important. That's told us nothing though, isn't it? This is true. You know, um, other than it's it's everything's well with the world. Rory Rory Burns batted very well before he ran himself out. Yeah, so he made forty seven. I think. Yeah. Um, and he was looking good until he got run out. Um, he looked lovely in the England kit as well. I thought. Yeah. There's one of him playing a, a cover drive in in the helmet. He looks great. Absolutely. Um, the, I think the bowling is more interesting. Um, England's bowling attack was exactly the same as the bowling attack they had for their last Test match here um, at the Oval mm-hmm. against India. And um, Leach didn't Leach didn't make the cut. Leach didn't play. Neither does Stone. And it worries me a little bit that uh, this tour is going to be a repeat of what we've seen before of England overseas. Um, for all of Ed Smith's talk about needing to have uh, bowlers who have a bit of mystery, have an X factor. You know, we saw how much he struggled in Australia last year. It looks like we're going to be, at least at the moment, we're considering playing four, the four um, seam bowlers who bowl about 80, 85 miles per hour. Um, actually, concerningly, Anderson... Bowled... It's, it's not a graveyard for seamers, though, necessarily, out there. Not necessarily. It favours spinners, but it's not a disaster. It's not like playing in Dubai to bowl, spin- to bowl seamers. Yeah, um, but the seamers didn't bowl well. So Anderson and Broad uh, did all right. Anderson got a wicket. Both of them were tidy, economical. Uh, Wokes went at five and over. Sam Curran went at over four and over. 
Uh, Rashid went at over four and over. Denley went at more than six and over. Um, and the likelihood is Sri Lanka have picked five spinners in their squad. Um, if that's not a sign of things to come, I don't know what is. Um, and the fact that we didn't play Leach in that game as well. And how, now he's how, not how, play, how didn't you play Leach? I mean, uh, one of the great criticisms of these nonsense two-day non-first-class warm-up games, I have no idea what these are. And it's even for. worse but, than that because you bat one day, we bat the they're next. Absolute, yeah. They're yeah. absolute junk. They should be first-class games three or four days, but put that to one side. You can play bloody 20. The physio can play if you want. Why can't? Why couldn't Leach rolled on for... There's no. Um, there's nothing preventing Leach or Stone to a bold over. Sure, you could have played anyone. Well, we, yeah. we played 14 aside. That's what I mean. Um, the, and the, and the we still didn't play yeah, Stone yeah. It's, It seems, seems a complete waste of opportunity. You play surely more bowlers in that scenario. Uh, than absolutely. Um, we'll get to our uh, predicted teams in a second. Um, but I really think we should play three spinners and that means that we can only play two frontline seam bowlers. Um, and I, for that reason, I don't think we can pick uh, Curran or work, particularly Curran. Um, he bowled really well in the English summer. Um, but the role he had was very different to what it would have to be in Sri Lanka. Um, in England, because we had such a strong bowling attack, he'd um, if he wasn't bowling well, and quite regularly he had a, bowl, a couple of overs that, went, um, that were quite expensive, he'd just be taken out of the attack because we had so many other options in the seam bowling department. That was fine. We had other people to cover for him. Mm-hmm. We won't be able to do that in Sri Lanka. And kind of similar for Rashid. Uh, Rashid was, was used when we were looking for a wicket. He was never really... Um, used to contain here and Sri Lanka. Yeah. If we only play two spinners, R- R- I don't Rashid, think she can do it. I don't think Root trusts him. As well, well, this is it. This is Rashid is is a mystery to me in in, in five day cricket. Uh, you would think that the right balanced side would would be current at eight with two. Bearing in mind that Stokes didn't bowl in that game, that they're managing his workload. Yeah. So you would have the two champion opening bowlers, and I know it's not on their ideal surfaces, but. Uh, but you're not going to drop either a broader Anderson realistically. And then you'd have a backup left arm seamer. And then you'd have two spinners, one spinning it away from the bat, the other one spinning it in. That is a perfect, varied attack. However, as you rightly say, Root doesn't trust Rashid. Why? Well, it remains to be seen. You know, he took 30 wickets in India in 2016 and was uh, was not seen again until last summer when the rabbit was pulled out of the hat. No one expected to see it. Uh, and so... If if you can help, if you can hang your hat on Rashid, then it's the perfect balanced side. But you can't yet, or rather, the captain won't yet. He remains an unproven uh, mystery, an enigma, really. I can't remember who. In said which it. case, then Leach comes back into the in, into the the makeup as as a kind of an insurance policy against against Rashid not quite making the cut. Uh, then there's the further complication with Moeen, of course. You know, there's not a natural number three in this team. Um, they could go with Denley. They may well go with Denley. It seems one hell of a punt to me, I have to be honest. Uh, he's made some decent runs in Division 2, but it's been irregular for the last few years. And it seems like he may have crept in, having taken a few tail-end batsman's wickets with his leggers. Uh, Moeen is the best number three out there in, in, a, in a group of players who aren't natural number threes. But if you put him at number three, then there's a hell of a lot of pressure on the bloke's shoulders to be going out and playing on raging Bunsen's when you're batting three and you're the premier spinner. So this is what they're facing, and it's it's not not easy to to stitch it together. Mm. You've gone leech, yeah. I've gone current, but in part I've gone current because you've gone leech. <laughs> it's worth having the discussion about it. I think if I've gone current at eight, it's because I think this will be a reasonably low scoring, dirty kind of series. I think Sri Lanka think the only way they can win it is if they make pitches that are responsive after ten minutes on day one. In which case, the longer you can bat, the long, the longer in the, the order you can bat, 
the more the more potential you're going to have to hang in there, create a kind of 280, 300 kind of score. And that will be a winning score. Or 350 is a definite winning score out there, I think. Um, if Curran is replaced by Leach, then by your token, Rashid is batting at eight. That's quite high. He's got 10 first-class hundreds, averages in the mid-30s. I, I think he's uh, it's, reasonable. It's, it's high for Adil Rashid to be batting eight in the modern game when... Every single run is going to be vital. Interesting you say if you're, that. If you're playing on Indian pitches where it's 500 v 600, then, then I get what you're saying completely. But I think this is going to be a dogfight of a series. But we're so used to seeing England nowadays have all these all-rounders that we forget that actually Adil Rashid is a good test match number eight. And Broad at nine, that's fine. Yeah, he, he, Broad's okay. back is not so bad that he can't bat at nine. Uh, Broad's a disaster with the bat, let's be honest. I mean, Rashid, Rashid he made that plucky 60-odd, almost saved the game against Pakistan, um, balls it up at the end, you know, that happens. But he is, in the modern game, he is a number He is a number 10. In, in a really strong England side, he's a number 10. All I would ask, Adam Collins, you, I don't know if you, you were there to see Australia get turned over by... Sri Lanka a couple of years ago. The, it's, the, the, it's the one series I missed in the last five years. Which all right, really we're not going to hold it against you. <laughs> you know, Kusal Mendes made runs as, yep. a, as a kid out there. It's famously a very difficult place to go. Looking at what England's options are, and you've watched a lot of them this summer, yep. summer just gone, how would you go? Would you live a little with the third spinner? Or yeah. would, you would? Yeah, no, you got to. I mean, it, it, I think I'm with you, Phil. It's going to be a scrap. Don't discount scene there as you mentioned before Mitchell Stark did really well there in, in 2016 uh, but yes it's going to be determined largely by who can get the 20 wickets first so therefore do you want to have a, a third seamer um, to well in, in England's case about a ninth seamer given all the all-rounders or, or do you um, double down on Leach and give yourselves three options especially when as you mentioned as well Phil um, Root's reluctance to back in Rashid for long spells you're going to need that extra spin finger spin option um, you can't necessarily show too much faith in Denley's bowling based on what we've seen at, at short form level. Yeah. That can't be enough. You can't call him your, quote, third spinner, end quote. Uh, and we know that Moeen has as many ordinary days as he does excellent days. So yeah. all that together would say for me, I, I, I'd go the third spinner. I'd go the third spinner, but whether there's a way of including Curran in that mix as well, I mean, oh, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but maybe Wokes doesn't play. Um, I, don't, I don't think Wokes will. So that that would be where I could, you know, see there could be a, a, an efficiency made. If they can guarantee ten overs a day from Stokes, uh, then it changes the dynamic again, and then I would lean towards Leach. Uh, but so they, are, got they seven, are got so, seven batsmen. Sorry, this so is... paranoid about yeah, Stokes' fitness. We were talking about the batsmen, but in both our teams, we have uh, well, oh, Josh Butler, Orly Pope at numbers six and seven. I see. So, um, all right, okay. Well, that yeah, okay. I'm, I, I can live with that. Um, two, <laughs> two, two things on Rashid uh, and Leach. Uh, I've always thought that the idea of Adil Rashid as a Test match bowler is so much better than the reality. Um, he bowls so well for England in the one day. In the one day, he's brilliant in the ODI series. But as we've been talking, Root doesn't t- trust him. Um, he's, he's kind of using the same way Joe Denley is for Kent. He, he, he's brought on to go through the tail. And the other thing is... But he's only captained him in England, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Root's only captained true, him over true. here. I mean, you're right, up to a point. He had ignored him for Australia, yeah. laughably ignored him last summer, yeah. last winter rather, and they took poor old Mason Cray. Yeah. But the other thing I was going to say is I think we're um, underestimating Leach. Leach is... Um, by a mile, the English spinner who's done the best in county cricket the last three years. Um, and it's often used against him that he plays at Taunton, a pitch that takes a lot of turn, Siderabad. Um It shouldn't be, though, should but it? But it shouldn't be. We're no. playing in Sri Lanka. Yeah. He's, if, any, if anything, he's the person who's most used to those conditions. So I think for that reason, he should definitely be in the team. And this is where there is a reference point. 
with Australia. So it's been said before that the hardest job in Australian cricket is to be the second spinner. You only ever get rolled out in conditions which suit bowling spin. And it's hard when you go from bowling in conditions which aren't... You're the number one spinner for your state and you're bowling on flat tracks. And you're the number two spinner on Bunsen's. Uh, Jack Leach has experienced bowling on, on, on big turning wickets week mm-hmm. in, week out down in Taunton. So that's a good point. Like You don't want to be sending in someone who isn't necessarily used to being able to turn the ball square and saying, here you go, mate, because um, you get carried away. It's like giving a, an Australian bowler yeah. a, a Duke's ball on a green top in, in, the, middle of, in the middle of May. Like They, they can often, because uh, they're not used to getting that much movement through the air off the seam, they can, they can often be, um, you know, they can be wasteful. Easy to forget, though, that Jack Leach was England's number one spinner for the one test match he played. He got on the team when Moeen Ali was dropped That's and right. then Jack Leach was injured out of no fault uh, of his own. He... He dropped down the pecking order, had to work hard. Take and he, and he looks quite old, and I think it's good for a spinner to look older than they are. <laughs> there's, there's a 90s vibe. Yeah. There's a 90s, a, a pre-millennial vibe about Jack Leach. I think yeah. they might actually be holding him back. You know, he's, he's not even that bad a bat, and he's not bad, that bad a fielder. But he has the vibe of being a number 11 left-arm yeah. spinner. Slightly socially gauche and awkward in the kitchen at parties, that kind of thing. Um, I hope they give him a go, I really do. Uh, and I hope you're right. Um, in fact, I've broadly been convinced. Uh, I am coming around to your way of Let's thinking. Do it. Stokes holds the key. If Stokes doesn't bowl, it's hard to go in there with two seamers, and it's very un-English to go in with, with only two. Come on, let's party with Jack Leach. <laughs> you heard it here first, Jack. Come on, come and play. All right. England kick off Tuesday morning. Let's see how that one goes. We'll be back next week for more. Just before we go, uh, what do you want to see next week? I'm going to come to you first, Yazrana. 20 words or less. I can't wait to see Rory Burns open the batting for England in a test match. Honestly, can't wait. Blimey. There we have it. Well, he almost certainly will, not before time. <laughs> you never know. Almost certainly. <laughs> you, uh, you never know with this team. But 5,000 run seasons in a row, uh, he's due, let's say. Yeah. Uh, it's going to happen, hopefully. Adam Collins? I-, I also can't wait to watch Rory Burns bat the test match. Good, uh, good. Look, I- I, uh, positive. Women's yep. World T20, can't wait to get down to St. Lucia. It's going to be a cracking tournament on Tough its own gig. for the first time. Tough gig. Give me, make sure you follow that closely on wisdom.com. And of course, next week we'll be uh, talking about the World T20 in greater depth. From a, a voyeuristic perspective, Australian cricket needs a new chairman. Uh, this could get uglier before it gets better. I'd keep an eye on what happens in the next few days. Remember, the, the states own Australian cricket, and it could be time for them to flex a bit of muscle. Yeah, the last couple of months, you may well even be in the mix for that one. <laughs> Uh, as for me, uh, just intrigued to see how many more names get thrown out from South Africa, from uh, Sri Lanka after Jai Saria and now Zoiza was has been charged by the ICC with uh, mm. with some filth as well. We've touched on match fixing before. We are not going to go there this week. More to come on that one, folks. Okay, uh, just leaves me to say, really, uh, the magazine, uh, the most recent issue is up and running. A couple of weeks now, it's been on the newsstands. It's going really well. Get your get your hands on it, folks. Uh, it's an England women's special, of course. You can pick it up in all the standard places, wisdom.com in particular. Uh, I've been Phil Walker. Thank you to Yaz Rana, and thank you to Adam Collins. Podcast Network.